Solar PV Cast by Shift, a podcast exploring solar energy and the role it plays in improving our lives and our planet. Here's your host, Chris Palliser. Yes, thank you for joining another episode of the Solar PV Cast. It is brought to you by Shift for all your solar and energy storage needs. Make sure to visit shift.ca. Now, for a lot of people, the idea that we need to act now and, and, and fight climate change might be new. You know, speaking for myself, it wasn't until Greta Thunberg, you know, started protesting in 2019 that I thought, wow, okay, like I'm going to come out of my own little shell here and figure out what the heck's going on with this climate change thing. But for one organization, the, the decision to act now has been going since it was founded in 1990. Now I'm talking about the David Suzuki Foundation. And that has been the idea that we can be one with nature. We can work with nature instead of fighting nature. Uh, and I love this because honestly, that is solar. We're harnessing the sun. The sun is already there. Let's use it to our advantage. So I'm really excited about the conversation today. Joining us from the David Suzuki Foundation is Stephen Thomas, the Clean Energy Manager. Stephen, welcome to the Solar PV Cast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So just out of the gate, uh, the organization, um, a lot of people in Canada are definitely aware of David Suzuki and his work with the CBC and, and things like that. But for our international listeners, if you wouldn't mind surmising the organization just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. The, the David Suzuki Foundation, uh, as you were saying, has uh, been around since about 1990. Uh, we work across a number of, of issues from, uh, from nature conservation to climate change and the work that I do on renewable energy. Um, uh, with their, our founders, of course, David Suzuki and Tara Kola Suzuki, uh, being academics, they, they really imbued a, uh, a science integrity uh, in the organization. So we have this science integrity protocol for everything that we do in terms of our research and reports and positions that we put out there. Um, but we really wear a lot of hats in terms of how we show up in the conversation on environment and climate justice here in Canada. Um, we, we do the work of the reports and partnering with our academic uh, uh, partners, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit of that today. Um, but we do a lot of the work of, of getting people out there, getting people uh, informed, mobilized, activated in, uh, in terms of getting their voices heard on these important issues, too. So we do a lot of work to actually shape and push policy here in Canada for what we need to see when it comes to climate change. And you've done a lot of incredible things. I was looking at the timeline, you know, right from, I think it was, it was helping a, a clam farm on Vancouver Island in 1990 and, and cleaning things up there to what you've been doing now. How, how yourself did you find your way to the David Suzuki Foundation? What's your background? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love so much being able to uh, to stand on the shoulders of giants and, and do this work at the David Suzuki Foundation um, for, for what people have built in it over the last 30 or so years. Uh, for me, I've just been with the David Suzuki Foundation for about three years and have my own sort of uh, journey in, in how I got here. Um, I grew up uh, in unceded Mi'kmaq territory in Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada, a uh, working class family, uh, the kind of family where I'm the first uh, person on both sides to go to university. So I felt that pressure to kind of take a professional degree and and uh, and I chose engineering. Um, I'd already had some really great uh, teachers and and people in my life who kind of turned me on to to the problem of climate change and the, the work that's needed to, to try and solve it. Uh, so I was really excited uh, to take that engineering degree and do things with it like wind and solar 
And I was so lucky to, to have the opportunity to do that right out of school. So in Nova Scotia, worked with a, a number of uh, community renewable energy organizations and companies to set up um, small renewable energy projects um, in Nova Scotia and the rest of Canada and a little bit in the United States too. But I always kind of had this 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 uh, this thing bugging me in the background where even though I was part of this brilliant work, it was never enough. Uh, even though I was part of this brilliant work, um, I saw our elected leaders uh, not really putting us on the path that's actually going to to be enough when it comes to avoiding the worst of climate change and making sure that communities are safe in the face of that climate change. So I was always doing my activism and policy work on the side and had a really great opportunity to make that my work. So for the last few years, I've been I've been doing this sort of policy and advocacy work um, and hopefully putting my, uh, my engineering chops to good use in that way too. So I've been with the, the David Suzuki Foundation for about three years now and lead a fantastic team of people working on all the different aspects of, of renewable energy when it comes to the research and reports that we're a part of, to communications, to what we call public engagement, or the work of, of supporting and working with people to call for these solutions in their own communities. So uh, really grateful to be a part of it and grateful to be part of this conversation too. And, and do you feel satisfied, you know, in that urge you discussed, you know, you felt like things weren't getting done. Do you feel that so far in your position? That's such a dangerous question to ask an <laughs> activist, you know, uh, yeah, the answer is always mean, no. It's uh, never, never enough, right? No, I'm so grateful. And there, there are days where truly I'm quite encouraged. Um, and I'm always the most hopeful when I'm like with uh, real human beings, so to speak, with people in communities who are doing everything they can um, to, to, to sort of do the right thing for themselves and for their their family, their, their community. Um, amazing people that we get the chance to work with um, who uh, who don't get enough um, enough of that spotlight. So um, there are certainly days where I feel um, pretty optimistic, but my work, the day-to-day of this is kind of pointing out what we need to pay attention to, pointing out where where we're not quite uh, getting there, what, what needs more attention, what, uh, what needs more work. So I'm sure that'll be part of uh, this discussion today. Yeah, I mean, where are we right now? You know, what are a few things that we can be better in? I mean, it's a loaded question because I can imagine there's so much, but maybe let's focus on solar. I mean, it is the solar PV cast. And, and how are you seeing that evolution? I mean, solar's come such a long way. Uh, I'm sure others, uh, other guests on your your, your podcast here have, have told some some great stories about grid scale and community scale solar, and how uh, I mean, this is this is the story globally, but certainly the story in Canada, where in the 10 or 12 years I've been a part of this work, I've I've been able to see it in real time that uh, solar is is they're the underdog. They're uh, right in all of the forecasts that we see for solar. Uh, they say that it's going to stay flat or it's going to be challenging to build enough of it. And every single year, uh, those expectations are blown out of the water um, for grid scale and community scale solar. So we're on we're on a, an, an encouraging trajectory. But I think part of the conversation I want to have today is, is it's not nearly enough. The scope and scale of the climate crisis, the scope and scale of what we need to do as a country to open up uh, the development of solar, wind, energy storage here in Canada is not on track. So um, so we're at this exciting place in the curve where we're seeing real projects, we're seeing real benefits, we're seeing things happen at scale. 
um, but we're not yet on the path to where we need to head. And so what's what's your role? Because, you know, on the website, it talks about we can be 100% sustainable by 2035. Again, there's a lot to do, but what are some of the initial steps that we can do to, to make that a reality? Yeah, if we can, I'd love to spend a minute on that target because I mm-hmm. think that's part of what's missing in Canada is that we are not yet in agreement about where we are headed when it comes to elected officials, to electric utilities, to regulators. We're going in two or three different directions at once right now, and that's not working for us in Canada. Um, What we need more than anything is a common direction and to work together to collaborate across provinces, between communities to meet that goal. So for us, we see the real value in this 2035 goal. That's meeting 100% affordable, reliable, zero emissions electricity everywhere in Canada by the year 2035. Um, We've done a number of studies on on a target like this and and why it's possible and and worthwhile, but we didn't make it up here in Canada. Um, This 2035 target is something um, that really came to the fore in 2021 when the International Energy Agency released its landmark report for how the world can avoid the worst of climate change, can stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius, and can reach net zero by 2050. What that report said clearly is that a country like Canada, a developed country, needs to have net zero electricity by 2035 if we have any hope of meeting these broader climate goals. Uh, Since then, this is now the stated goal of Canada, which is great to see. It was an election uh, promise back in the 2021 election for the government. Um, We've seen lots of, of little policies and movements since then. Um, This is the stated goal of every G7 member country. So the United States, the European Union, the United Kingdom, Japan. These are all countries who are our allies, our competitors also, um, who are working very hard to meet this target. Um, So lots to unpack about uh, about the kind of benefits that we see from moving that quickly. Um, But I think that's one of the big things that's still missing in Canada is that some folks are late to the game in in really um, committing to and trying to meet that kind of goal. Well, I mean, my point of view is the politicians are only jumping on it now because it's mainstream. It's cool to say we're going to do this by 2035. Now doing it, as I'm learning in the business world, you know, trying to get an email sent sometimes has to go through five people and... <laughs> And uh, uh, changes, oh, adjust this, adjust that. Like, it's impossible sometimes to get an email sent. Do you think there's a chance that we're actually going to pull this off? I really do. And I also love uh, love this as a goal for for you and for all of us is to to make this cool, you know, make it irresistible. Because <laughs> uh, I, know, I know that's the way that I see it. Um, but, uh, but in speaking of hope and the way that we open this conversation, I really do believe that Canada can do this. Awesome. And in fact, we're way ahead when it comes to some of those countries that I mentioned who are also on this path. Canada already is at 85% non-emitting electricity. So that includes other things that are not renewables, but we are, we're starting from a really good place where yeah, other countries yeah. are starting from, you know, 50, 70, 80% fossil fuels on their grid. So um, so the starting place matters for, for us here in Canada. And we also have an 
enormous uh, opportunity in the wind and solar resource here in Canada. Uh, wind and solar, um, as I'm sure you've heard on this program before, are the cheapest form of electricity in history. They are cheaper than anything else has ever been. They're cheaper than hydro. They're cheaper than nuclear. They are much cheaper than fossil fuels like natural gas, oil, and coal when it comes to putting electricity on the grid. It makes sense to use as much of them as possible when we talk about this transformation that, that's ahead of us. Um, so we see the path in part because of the studies that we've been a part of uh, showing these sorts of scenarios and pathways for every province to meet this target. Um, but what's so great about the moment we're in is that these technologies are here. They're ready. Wind and solar are proven technologies that have uh, you know decades of, of work on the grid already. Uh, we have a workforce that um, has experience in these technologies. And it's just about building the things um, that, uh, uh, that we know work. Um, there's lots of conversations going on about carbon capture and storage and, and new experimental nuclear technologies and this sort of thing. And they may play a role further down the line, um, but we think it's a mistake to focus on anything else other than wind, solar, energy efficiency, new connections and grid upgrades that make it all possible because these things are ready today. How do you, when it comes to the education, how do you um, convey the message that this is cheaper, this works, it is here? Because, you know, you know, being in the solar industry, the big question is, well, that's a lot of money up front. I don't know if I want to do that. Yet people are totally fine going filling up their vehicle with gas, using their flicking and leaving the lights on in the house. Like nobody that stuff's there. So there's this mental block that wind and solar cost money and, and it's more work. And I don't like that. How do you change that perception? I think it has happened slowly and it's starting to happen much more quickly to change that perception and, and really have it sink in that, that wind and solar are as cheap as they are. There's this bad messaging history, this bad uh, press, if you will, um, that wind and solar have gotten back 20 years ago, 15 years ago, when they were newer experimental technologies that were more expensive. That just is not the case anymore. And that hasn't been the case for years. But it takes some time for, for that old narrative to get shaken off. And for, frankly, for people to have new experiences that are good with wind and solar. So seeing their electricity bill go down or putting up solar on their roof and seeing their bill go to zero, or in fact, they get paid for, for the electricity they produce, um, is uh, talking to our neighbors, sharing those stories are, are so, so important. Um, but I think when it comes to, uh, to, to the conversation that I'm often a part of in terms of the future of Canada's electricity grid, um, we're kind of talking about the future too. It takes trust and it takes uh, this sort of uh, integrity um, to make the right decision because there are all sorts of bad faith messengers, bad faith actors who are very happy to kind of spread that misinformation about wind and solar and, and energy storage and these sorts of technologies um, because the fossil fuel industry has so much to gain by delaying this transition. Um, so we know that the fossil fuel industry is is very, very busy um, in the lobbying that they do, spending many millions of dollars in lobbying advertisements, um, greenwashing uh, their product, 
just to, to kind of introduce enough doubt into the conversation to delay this transition. And I think that's quite dangerous and, and, uh, and something that we try and work against. Yeah. What do you say to people that, uh, you know, EVs, electric vehicles, the electrification of the grid is becoming a thing? Maybe right now with our demand the way it is, wind and solar uh, can help. What do you say to people, though, when, when more EVs are on the road and we need more energy about wind and solar and renewables? Can they keep up? Yeah, I, I'm going to keep mentioning this report that we were a part of, and maybe I'll mention it in full now. Um, <laughs> in 2022, we released a report that took about four years in terms of a partnership with our academic partners at the University of Victoria about how Canada can meet this sort of uh, new electricity future. That report's called Shifting Power for those who wanna look it up. Um, and in it, we have exactly these sorts of scenarios that you're talking about with electric vehicles because really the, the problem uh, we're trying to solve in this moment is actually two problems. We're trying to clean up the electricity grid. And in Canada, that's still a big, uh, big problem in some provinces that have a lot of fossil fuels on the grid. But the second problem is that we need to hugely expand the grid itself and make sure that upgrades uh, are present on that grid too. Um, so our study and, and practically every study that we've seen in Canada show that by 2050, we need to double or even triple the amount of electricity, no matter where it comes from, um, uh, here in Canada. So, so this question you're bringing up is such a good one because it, it is from things like electric vehicles. I think it's a very good thing that we're going to stop burning gasoline and diesel in our vehicles and instead use electricity for EVs and electric public transport. I think it's a good thing that we're going to stop burning natural gas and oil in our homes and instead burn, uh, pardon me, use uh, clean electricity for things like electric heat pumps. Um, those are good things, but all of those things need more electricity, as you point out. So, um, so that's why this sort of problem we have is even more uh, timely. We need to get to work building this new grid right away because 2035 is right around the corner um, and we really need to set that right path. The Solar PV Cast by Shift, leading the transition to a renewable future. What about the Say Yes campaign that uh, is on the website, David Suzuki Foundation? We're chatting with Stephen Thomas here, Clean Energy Manager from the David Suzuki Foundation. Uh, I, I couldn't help but notice, I think you were shooting for 25,000 signatures and you're about 600 shy. Like we're days away here from hitting this. So what's the plan with all those signatures and, and the letters and, and how is that campaign? Absolutely. So anyone who might want to get us over that threshold can go to davidsuzuki.org and, and search for clean electricity and, and find your way there. Um, uh, and in fact, we, we partner with, with a bunch of other organizations who do great work. And there's more than 40,000 signatures already who are of people who are calling for strong, uh, clean electricity regulations. And that is the, uh, the main policy that's sort of before us right now in Canada for how we can meet this 2035 target and how we can phase out fossil fuels on the grid. As I mentioned before, uh, this regulation, like practically every climate policy in Canada, is under attack by the fossil fuel industry, by their lobbying, by the, the kind of advertisements that, uh, that they're able to afford. Um, so uh, so, we so should, what we do... Oh, pardon I was just going to say, we should add that David Suzuki Foundation is a nonprofit organization, and you can donate on the page. <laughs> 
Just just Absolutely. a nod to the fact that they got a ton of money over there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But we'll, Sorry to cut you even off. if we have gen- generous donations coming in, we'll never uh, be able to beat them in terms of money. Uh, this is the, the, the most uh, profitable industry in the history of the planet. Uh, more than 200 billions in windfall excess profits last year alone while the world burns. So, uh, so this is why we, we have things like the petition you mentioned online, why we support people in communities to talk to their elected officials and to make their voices heard is because that's where the, this, this sort of change can happen is, is in the people power um, where we remind elected officials that they're there to, um, to work for us, that they're there to serve the interests of real human beings who are gonna be impacted by climate change. And the role of government is not to make sure that profits are protected for billionaires who own oil and gas companies, which is unfortunately uh, where we might be headed if we get this kind of regulation wrong. Um, so that's the short of it, is wanting to, to make sure that these new regulations are as strong as possible actually phase out fossil fuels on the grid and actually usher in all of these benefits when it comes to jobs, when it comes to healthier air for our communities, when it comes to, um, to, to more affordable, more reliable electricity from things like wind and solar. Um, we really see a big opportunity in this regulation and that's why we're, why we're, we're pushing for it. You've been with the foundation a couple of years. So maybe you can speak to this. Um, I'm picturing it like a river. We're all cruising down a river, and I feel like the David Suzuki Foundation, perhaps in the 90s, was fighting upstream. Do you feel like the stream is starting to turn? I love this analogy, and if I can pick it up, I'd say that there... I'd say, <laughs> I grew up in Nova Scotia, where there are tidal rivers, where the, the flow kind of changes back and forth. And as it's changing back and forth, it's a very dangerous time during the tidal bore. And what gets introduced are things like eddies and little little whirlpools. And I think that's the moment that we are in. The tide is changing uh, unequivocally, but it's a dangerous time. Uh, the fossil fuel industry is very desperate um, and, and, and employing all sorts of tactics. Um, so we gotta watch out for those little whirlpools. Um, I think we're going in the right direction, but we really have to be careful. Uh, and I think that's the clear message to government too because uh, the sad um, reality of this moment is that uh, we're not yet there in terms of being able to put our feet up and say that we're on the right track, um, but it's looking better every day. How do we compare? Um, I mean, you mentioned 85%. We're starting from a great place. How do we compare in the other countries that the David Suzuki Foundation does work in? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to get an idea of where we are in the global scale. Yeah, so the David Suzuki Foundation does most of our work just here in Canada, but we work with international partners all the time. Okay. And perhaps counterintuitively to some listeners, uh, the United States um, is has a much, much larger electricity system and much, much more fossil fuels on it. But I'd say that uh, they're taking it a bit more seriously, this 2035 goal. Wow. Tens of billions of dollars being put in from things like the, uh, the IRA. Um, we're seeing uh, this, this river changing flow, is, uh, to use your analogy. We're seeing that very clearly in the European Union, the, uh, the United Kingdom, um, when it comes to investments and what makes a good investment in terms of energy right now in those places is absolutely uh, things like wind and solar. 
Um, but we're still we're still in this place where it hasn't quite clicked in Canada. And I think I'll say one more thing about that. Um, the um, the great folks at the Canadian Renewable Energy Association release numbers every year about where we're at in Canada. How many uh, how much wind and solar do we have on the grid? Um, and they did that for 2023. And uh, there are some good news in that, like wind and solar are growing in Canada, but not nearly enough. Um, we are uh, we, what we did in Canada last year was was add about two gigawatts of wind and solar to the grid, which would be very good if this we were having this conversation ten years ago. Um, but in this day and age, we need much, much more. And in the reports that we've been a part of. Um, we're, we're seeing that we need to have an average of about 10 or even 12 gigawatts of new wind and solar every single year if we're going to meet these sorts of targets. Right now, hmm, we're at wow. two. Yeah, uh, wow. So we have a lot of work to do. And I'd say the, the biggest barrier um, in Canada, when we're comparing ourselves to other countries or looking at um, these sorts of numbers, the, the biggest barrier, unfortunately, is still that we're not trying. It's still that uh, we don't have this sort of uh, universal push for for a clean grid by 2035. There's still so much work happening to hang on to that la last bit of fossil fuel power on the grid that we haven't yet um, in the provinces opened up the opportunity to actually build wind and solar. So last year, there were six provinces that built zero new wind and solar um, at a grid scale, uh, which is not good news. We know most of these provinces have plans for the future, but boy, is it not a good look to have that number be zero for new wind and solar on your provincial grid. Um, so, so these are the sorts of things that we need to see change before we feel more comfortable that we're on the right track. We're still in the whirlpools, like you said. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, we could keep going on. Is there anything else that, that you want to mention in terms of the David Suzuki Foundation um, that you want to cover that you think the listeners should know about? There's so much here um, yeah. in terms of uh, the, what we stand to benefit. And I think we often have this conversation in terms of uh, from a place of scarcity, from a place of being afraid that climate change will impact us and we need to do something about it. And that is absolutely true. Climate change is an existential threat to every human being, uh, certainly folks here in Canada. And, and that, you know, for many is reason enough. Um, but I think sometimes in the conversation, we miss what we actually have to benefit. And we've talked a lot about how wind and solar are affordable, um, how, how we do away with air pollution and, and the kinds of upstream and downstream impacts from communities who live near uh, fossil fuel sites. These sorts of things are things that we can, can put in the rearview mirror, so to speak. Um, so, so we're doing a lot of this work in the next year is sort of trying to tell those stories about what we stand to benefit, what we stand to gain. And we're excited about carrying that forward too. Um, but for everyone who is listening and wants to, um, uh, to check out our work at the David Suzuki Foundation, that again is davidsuzuki.org or simply Googling uh, David Suzuki Clean Electricity. Um, we've got lots of resources, reports, and ways to take action. This is going to be a very busy year in 2024 for some big decisions that the federal and provincial governments are making. And uh, and we need you. We need people to, um, to have their voice heard, to sort of stand up and be counted when, uh, when it comes to these conversations. And we're really looking forward to doing that work. 
I, I do want to quickly circle back. You mentioned it's science-based, which I think is so important in the current phase of the world that we're in. There's just so much information coming at all of us all the time. How do you decipher? Now, I'm watching the news last night. AI is taking over. You don't know if it's real if you don't, if it's real or fake. So, you know, I think it's wonderful that right out of the gate, this was all going to be based on fact, um, which is great. Yeah, that's that's really important when we talk about climate change and the reality of what faces us is, is of course, based on science. But the solutions, too, have to have their own science-based uh, integrity and, frankly, listen to and be guided by Indigenous knowledge, too. Far too often, it's not taken seriously and not listened to. Um, but, uh, but indigenous communities are far and away the leaders when it comes to environmental issues more broadly, but certainly when it comes to renewable energy, um, the ownership and development of, of renewables by indigenous nations is super inspiring here in Canada. Um, and I think that's important to go alongside, uh, any sort of, of scientific way of knowing too, but I can't agree with you more. It's a scary time out there when it comes to, to misinformation and we gotta be, we gotta be careful. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you, uh, Stephen Thomas, Clean Energy Manager for the David Suzuki Foundation. Thank you uh, again for joining us. And I'll put the information in the bio and the write-up for the podcast. And I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Take good care. The Solar PV Cast by Shift with Chris Palliser. To begin your solar journey, visit shift.ca.